They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Here we are, episode uh, 54, I think it is. Elliot is quite almost languid today, I would is how I would describe him. But Elliot, before we jumped into the episode, do you just want to say a few words on the recent passing of a beloved author for you? I and do. I would just like to... Talk about my, well, not talk about, but mention my deep respect and love for the works of Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy, as I mentioned on, on the episode where we did one of a, a movie based on one of his books, No Country for Old Men, Cormac McCarthy is one of my favorite authors. He died just uh, on yesterday, wasn't it? Uh, it was Tuesday, I want to, I think. Right, yeah. He died on Tuesday. At the ripe old age of 89, on, uh, rest in peace, Cormac McCarthy had a very distinctive style and a distinctive voice. Uh, he was a quintessentially American author. He wrote stories that have been folded into like the American literary canon. So he's often mentioned in the same breath as people like Faulkner, uh, as authors who have defined American literature, whether that, what that reflects about the tone and voice of American literature, I don't know, but I do know that his books were always thought-provoking, they were always engaging, and uh, I'm really sad that he is, that he doesn't, he never was able to have one that he wasn't able to get one more out before he shuffled off this mortal coil. I mean, obviously he did. He did write a book that was his last book. Um, but I mean, there was no send-off for him. There was no, like, this is my last one, and then I'm out of here. Yeah. Have, have you read his uh, his last his latest last book, Elliot? No, neither of you. I'm currently reading it though, which is yeah. just why I mentioned that to to flex on you that I'm reading it. Yeah, Nathan's a bit of a bandwagoner. He after I started reading Cormac McCarthy, he was like, "Oh, oh, oh, I want to read Cormac McCarthy now." So, I, I sort of I, I'm sort of Nathan's trendsetter. <laughs> wow. Sure, sure, whatever. But yeah. Rest in peace, one of the great American authors, for sure. Speaking of authors, though, this movie ba- that we're doing is based on a book, so that's a, a great segue, a great transition to talk about the movie that we're doing today. 
Um, I can do the rundown because I was the one who chose this. We decided to do the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. I think it's probably the most popular adaptation of it. I know there's like a TV show from, I want to say the 90s with Colin Firth and a few people like that. But this is the most popular adaptation with Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden in kind of the principal two roles. It's Joe Wright, who, in my opinion, is a bit of a slept-on director, because I think this, not to spoil anything, but I like this movie. Um, he's got an adaptation of Anna Karenina that I like a reasonable amount, and his adaptation of Serrano de Bergiac from last year was a bit of a surprise for me how much I ended up enjoying that movie. But to talk about this one, in case you don't know, Pride and Prejudice is a classic novel by Jane Austen. I have no idea when it came out, sometime in the past, I'm sure. But it follows Elizabeth Bennet as she kind of makes her way through the courting society of... I'm going to need a time period, Mr. History Major. Uh, Late... 19th century. Late 19th century England, as she kind of tries to make her way through courting, and there's a lot of different things that go into her kind of entering the courting scene. But it's based on a book, so the story kind of meanders around somewhat. But the main crux of it is Mr. Darcy trying to win the affections of Elizabeth Bennet. And yeah, I watched this once before. I enjoyed it quite a bit then. I enjoyed it quite a bit this time. I'm excited to talk about it with Elliot, who does not have a romantic bone in his body. Elliot, what? give us your opening thoughts and feel free to refute uh, what I just said about you. I don't even know what you're talking about because, uh, honestly, I was just looking at something else on my computer, so I'm not 100% sure what you've been saying. Oh, gosh. Uh, give us your opening opening thoughts on this film, Elliot. Uh, man, yeah. So I've read a lot of books like this. Um, one of my college professors was really into books by British authors or American authors chronicling the pitfalls of being a woman in polite society. So I'm very familiar with this story archetype. I'm very familiar with this story structure. Like I was able to pretty much call the entire... I haven't read this book particularly, but I was able to pretty much call the entire story from the uh, initial iciness between the two leads, the ball, there's always a ball that is non-negotiable in Victorian love stories, Um, the introduction of the completely unacceptable love interest for the main character who is rebuffed and eventually settles down with a minor side character, uh, a big fight, a resolution, people getting married, it's all there. Um, so I wasn't, I, I wasn't very impressed, to be honest. Um, the story I felt like 
was something that I had seen a lot of before. The cinematography was the cinematography was very good. It was very well shot. Uh, it was it definitely reminded me of a theatrical production. The way uh, people spoke and the way it was shot and the way it was blocked, everything was all very purposeful. Um, it all felt very choreographed in a kind of Wes Anderson-y way. But this movie was really weighed down by really annoying, dislikable characters, especially Mr. Collins, the unacceptable love interest, and the mother. Gosh, every time they were on screen, I was just so sad and frustrated. But in general, uh, I just didn't re I just was not very invested in the love story between our two leads because none of the revelations that they have about each other feel in any way earned. I mean, maybe Elizabeth's decision to come around to Mr. Darcy because he's he's doing her favors and stuff, which seems like a little manipulative way to get a girl to like you, but whatever. But him the him deciding that he likes Elizabeth that he's head over heels for her I was like Wait, what when was this when did this happen why did this happen so I feel like there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff that there was a lot of unearned payoffs there were a lot of payoffs without a lot of setup um, and I was on the whole just kind of bored and disinterested I mean that is completely unsurprising uh knowing you you i did not know the thing about you having to read a whole bunch of books like this which i think is just you coming at it with a different sort of experience from me because i've the only one of these books that i've read is jane Eyre, which is somewhat similar but i read it after i saw the movie this movie for the first time so the movie, I mean, I was I, I wasn't like blown away like the usual suspects or something, but I was certainly very engaged and I don't think I ever thought like, oh, this is so generic and I've seen it a million times before. But yeah, I not super surprising that you weren't a huge fan. I chose this movie partially just so that we could have another contentious episode because the fans love it when we fight, Elliot. <laughs> That. As well as our female viewership is down in the tubes, so we got to do some movies that the women like. So, and this is wow, uh, sexist. Well, anecdotally, I've been told that this is a favorite from multiple female friends of mine. That they're like, oh yeah, one of my favorite movies, two thousand five, Pride and Prejudice, by Joe Wright. They all know it's directed by Joe Wright. He's huge. He's big. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, let's, let's kind of jump in to the movie just to start with some positive stuff so that we can both speak positively before we have to start fighting. You already mentioned it in your opening thoughts. The cinematography in this movie is really, really good. I like what you said about it being very theatrical because I think Joe Wright, he certainly directs movies or his cinematography typically comes through in a very theater-esque fashion. In fact, his adaptation of Anna Karenina literally takes place on a stage. Like the events of the film are supposedly 
a stage adaptation of this sort of thing. It's kind of a stylistic choice. But I, I, I definitely agree. There's a lot of really well-framed shots of characters sitting in very opulent, intricately designed rooms, characters standing in very nice columns so you, that you can see right the people who are in the next row and the people who are in the foreground. And it just makes for a very visually entertaining and engaging movie. Uh, I want to just shout out the second ball. So there's the first one, and then there's a second one at Bingley's home or whatever. That one has two has a oneer that is like my incredibly good. It's like two or three minutes long, but it's going through the party, showing what all of the members of the Bennett family are doing at the party. And so there's a large number of extras on screen. It lasts for quite a while and it comes back to characters multiple times, like showing them here and then showing them in another place. So that just would have had to have been a beast to block and get everyone in position to hit their marks and stuff. And then I also really love the shot of Darcy and Elizabeth when they're dancing and it just holds on them for quite a while while they're having a conversation while dancing. And then there's a very purposeful cut to what appears to be a somewhat dream-esque shot of just them dancing, just the two of them, that there's a shift in kind of the way they're looking at each other, that before they're in this crowded room dancing, making polite conversation, and then suddenly it's just kind of, right, the two of them. So it's kind of a deepening of that understanding between the two of them. But yeah, I mean, the movie looks amazing. The lighting is incredible. A lot of amazing shots. I mean, the last shot with Darcy, not the last shot, but the shot of Darcy and Elizabeth and the sun is right coming through in between the two of, I mean, come on, that's, that's incredible. I mean, that is an immaculate shot. So yeah, the cinematography goes hard in this film is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's all very lush and very pretty. And I think that <clears throat> equally deserving of recognition would be the costume designers and the set designers, because I don't know how historically accurate all that is. Everyone seems to be dressed either very shabbily or very ornately. I don't know if that's accurate or not accurate or not, but it is very accurate to this kind of genre. If you, if you catch my drift, I, I avoided saying if you, if you know what I mean, because I didn't want to say that. <laughs> Good job. Um, it's very recognizable, this uh, very, this sort of gilded, aristocratic, well-off, I don't know, scene that these kinds of movies play out in. Uh, they, they're all about social circles and social maneuvering, uh, be it through the acquisition of wealth or spouses is usually the way it goes. And I, I mean, I'm going to sort of jump the gun here and get into negatives early. But one of the things that is often missed in the discourse, or at least the like popular discourse about Jane Austen books, is that she was 
concerned not just with telling stories about women sort of taking their place in these circles, but also she was very much a social critic. Like she was, she was critical of the kinds of rituals and norms that governed people's behavior, not just women, but men as well. And I think that this movie, it really, it, it's, it's, it cannot be bothered with that. Like it just goes mm. straight for the more, the more low hanging fruit of just the romance between some pretty people. And I feel like the more salient and to me at least more interesting aspects of Jane Austen's writing are absent because of that, because we don't have the, we don't have the insight more into the effects that these kinds of courtship or rituals or just unwritten rules of conduct have on people and what Jane Austen thought of that. Um, that she was obviously fairly critical of those. She thought that they were um, repressive and kind of dumb. But this is, a, this. so what I'm stuttering and stammering is that this feels like a very superficial reading of the core text. And again, I haven't read Pride and Prejudice specifically, but I've read other Jane Austen books. So I'm, I think it's a safe assumption that the book Pride and Prejudice didn't buck that trend. In, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think it's especially interesting because I actually wrote in my notes some of the things that you're talking, like I did notice some of those ideas in the movie that not this being the second time I watched it, I kind of knew how the story was going to go. And so I was sitting with, and I guess I'll agree that it's not incredibly in your face in the way something like, sorry to bother you, or um, I'm trying to, or like idiocracy are very obviously a social sort of critique but I do think I kind of got some of these ideas of, right, the movie and the book, right, being titled Pride and Prejudice, that it's somewhat about how can we overcome these things that are built into society telling us what to do, who to court, how to act in courtship, and how do we kind of overcome those? Both Darcy and Elizabeth have to overcome their preconceived notions of each other and of how the courting process is supposed to go in order to genuinely display, I think especially Darcy, genuinely display like his affection. Like halfway through the movie or roughly halfway through the movie, he tells Elizabeth like, hey, I really like you. I love you. I want to marry you. And Elizabeth rebuffs him and she gives I think very reasonable reasons for not thinking he's a very good character of thinking that he's a bit of a jerk, that he's a bit of an icy, that she wouldn't be very happy if she was married to him. And so then Darcy has to put in some work to overcome both those preconceived notions from her. And then she's got to be humble enough to say, okay, look, you've, proven that I was wrong and I'm woman enough (laughs) 
to admit that and then move forward and be happy. So I think I can sort of see what you're saying, that it's not an incredibly explicit sort of thing, but I still, I still do feel like the movie does have some of these ideas of how much society was hindering both of the main character's ability to relate to each other and uh, court each other, I guess. I mean, I guess, kind of. I, I, I understand how you've come to those conclusions, but for me, that's all very individualized. Um, there, the story between Elizabeth and Darcy takes place in a very, it's very isolated and insulated from the rest of their uh, community. They're, they don't really, it feels less like that's about a social critique and more like it's just these, it's just character work. Like this is, mm. these are the obstacles that these individual characters have to overcome in order to find their way to each other. And I don't think that we had enough of, and I don't want to get into like the nitty gritty mechanics of how Jane Austen extrapolated the struggles that her characters faced to the problems in society that she believed were creating these struggles. But it had, it often had a lot to do with outside perspectives. Um, if not mm. the book being told from outside perspectives, certainly people discussing outside perspectives. And I didn't really get a lot of that from this book. I mean, there were some kind of gestures towards concerns about the family in it, image and trying to maintain the family fortune. But again, they all felt very individualized. It was just like, this is what we need to do for us. It wasn't like, mm. this is what's always happened or this is what's happening everywhere. It was, it was all taking, it all felt place, it all felt place. I, did I mention that I'm very tired today? It all felt like it was taking <laughs> place in a vacuum rather than mm. some, rather than Jane Austen's stories, which felt more organically part of a larger living whole. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think not to kind of put words in your mouth, but I also think that since you weren't very engaged by that main story, you were looking for something bigger to kind of chew on, right? Like not every movie needs to have a social critique in it, but since you weren't very engaged by the story of just the, as you sort of, sort of said, of just the characters, you were left hungry for anything to kind of grab you and a social critique, I think maybe would have done that. Well, I was definitely, I was going to get to that later, but yes, I was not engaged very much by the main story of the characters. All right, well then, let's let's kind of move towards the story then, and we can start with uh, the actors. I think, and Kira Knightley was nominated for Best Actress for this movie, which I don't, I'm not really sure why, I think she does a reasonably good job, but I don't think she does an amazing job. I think Matthew McFadden did an incredible job. And part of it is Darcy is so funny to me. Just every scene of him looking like the grumpiest human being on earth 
And everything he says, he's so mean and he's so rude. And what's the, he says something in kind of the back half of the movie where he's like, it's not a talent of mine to easily conversate with people I don't know very well. I was like, dude, relatable facts, Darcy. (laughs) But I I think he does a, a really amazing job of doing both the very icy exterior of him that is present for a lot of the first half of the movie, but then also doing a really good job with just this kind of awkward, he likes Elizabeth, but he doesn't really know how to say it. And he doesn't feel incredibly confident being right open with her about his feelings. And so I think he does a really good job of showing both of these sorts of extremities of his character. Otherwise, I think everyone else does a pretty good job. I'm heartbroken that you didn't like the mom because I thought the parents were of the Bennett's, the Bennett parents were one of my favorite parts of this. I'm, gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Who's the Donald dad? Donald Sutherland. Thank you. Donald Sutherland, amazing as, right, a father of five girls who are all very um, chaotic in kind of their own different ways that he had a really great, I thought he had a really great, very weary, but still, right, putting in the effort to parent his daughters somewhat. And the mom, I just thought was funny. I mean, it's unfortunate that you were annoyed by her, but I just thought she was funny constantly. There's one scene too, where she's like, where she's leaving and she's like told Elizabeth, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And she's like, it's not easy for me to talk. You know, I'm a very nervous person. It's hard for me to talk around people or something. And she's just jabbering on and on and on. So I thought the mom was really funny, but it's too bad you didn't. But what did you think of the actors outside of sort of the characters themselves, I guess? Uh, they were fine. I wasn't blown away by Kira Knightley, to be honest. I wasn't blown away by Matthew McFadden either. Um, I thought that he did a good job of looking like Robert Pattinson in The Batman. He looked like a sort of whiny, irritable goth kid. And Matthew McFadden, he did a everyone did everyone did a good job. No one was bad. It's just I wasn't really impressed with anyone uh my probably man of the match would be donald sutherland because he first of all he was he's a big guy i mean he looked like he could star in one of those movies about uh old guys doing action things like he's the poster child for old man strength um he just looked like he was able to beat a lot of people up which is something that i thought about which is something that I thought he was going to do. I thought he was going to get into a fight with the, um, oh gosh, the British soldier who was kind of rakish uh, and who, like, I guess, poaches off the one daughter. I thought that he was going to have a fight and Donald Sutherland was going to somehow win, but it didn't happen. But also, at that point (laughs) in the movie, I was kind of making my own entertainment by just imagining different scenarios, different paths that the movie might take. Uh, yeah, I I mean, we can use this from here, from acting, we can move to characters, because I think that 
that's probably the seat of my problem with this movie. The characters are either really annoying, really vapid, or just really not much, just really poorly constructed. So beginning with the really annoying, the mother is really annoying. And, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I just don't find characters being terrible people very funny very often. Like it has to be really, really deftly handled in order for me it would have had to have been really deftly handled in order for me to laugh at the idea of a mother who's completely disinterested in the well-being of her daughters and is only concerned with acquiring more wealth by marrying them off to wealthy people. Like, she was, I mean, she's so selfish. She, when Lydia runs away, she's just like, oh, how could Lydia do this to me? How could she do this to me? My nervous disposition. And then when she learns that she's going to be married to a rich guy, she's like, woohoo! The, it, uh, gosh, it's just terrible. She's just awful. <laughs> and, and yeah, she, she, she doesn't care about her, the one daughter who's, Got a, who's got a kind of thing with Mr. Bingley on. Like, she just wants to get the money to secure the family fortune. Terrible. Ridiculous. And then, yeah, the, Mr. Collins, he was so annoying. Like, there's a difference between somebody being a little bit awkward and a little bit, a little bit out of place in most situations. But he seemed like he was an actual alien. Like, he didn't understand what what was expected of him he, he just he's just always getting in the way and being a weirdo and being kind of a loser and clergymen never come out come off very well in these kinds of books that's something that i noticed when i was reading them the unacceptable love interest is almost always a clergyman it, it's weird but uh yeah so he was really annoying and then elizabeth and darcy i just didn't really care because I didn't think that, like, Elizabeth was saying, I've misjudged Darcy so so poorly, how could I be so blind? And I was just sitting there thinking, I think you were pretty much doing the best you could with the information available to you. Like, it's not like you heard, it's not like you were coming to these conclusions based on just a hunch you had. Like, he was acting very indifferent and very cold, and he did to your knowledge, screw some guy out of his own inheritance and turn her sister's love interest against her. So why is she, so why am I supposed to be invested in an arc that is ostensibly concluding with her realizing her own pride and prejudices when all of that pride and prejudice was fairly well-aimed in my mind? Well, I just, I mean, I would start by saying I think you're being a little harsh to the mother. I don't think that she's exclusive. I don't think, I I never got the sense that her desire to marry her daughters was a desire, like a greedy desire. It felt much more like just a desire for them to turn out well, that she knows they don't have a lot of money. So she's trying to make sure that they do secure 
money in the future so that they have better lives than she kind of has is kind of, I mean, and maybe I'm just a more empathetic and better person than you. So I kind of see the good in people in a way that you don't, but I don't, I, I don't think, I think you're being a little harsh on the old mother there. Well, I think that, I think that you're definitely more easily hoodwinked than I am. Um, more easily taken in by superficial charisma because if I was Lydia's daughter and she was manipulated and pulled off by someone like Wickham who is who has this reputation from Darcy of being a penny pincher and a money hoarder, I wouldn't be all that thrilled about her union. I would actually find that a source of dismay about her potential well-being. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm just not as easily taken in by a smile and a raised eyebrow like you are. Okay, we don't have to be this competitive. We we can act act nice for the cameras. I do kind of agree, and I did think that when I watched the movie, that I was like, I feel like... Elizabeth should maybe tell Lydia, like, hey, you need to <laughs> establish, like, get your new husband to go to church a few times or something. Like, I do think Lydia's kind of poorly off. Think if only Wiggum had, Wingham had married Rosamund Pike, then he'd really be in for it as soon as he started doing funky money stuff. <laughs> the peanut gallery has now violated their devotion to silence um. <laughs> but i think on the other thing uh in terms of mr collins i guess that uh, that also didn't annoy me that much just because i thought it was so funny i do as a short person or a person of limited stature i do feel kind of hurt that they cast such a blatantly short person in this role just because it felt like kind of, you know, tall person propaganda in some wow. ways. <laughs> but no, I just thought he was really funny when he's just like plugging along with his proposal, despite Elizabeth clearly stating, like, I'm not into this. That was, that really cracked me up. Yeah, although I, he kind of has a, a short memory because he, he wel then welcomes her with open arms um, after he marries her one friend. It's a good thing he didn't have a, a short temper. Um, so yeah, but he, he just plays a small part. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> At first look, I thought it was just... I, look, I thought Nathan, you were just, Nathan, don't get short with me, all right? Um, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, Elliot is like a whole head taller than me, so he is not a part of the short community... <laughs> <laughs> like I am. He's not an ally of the people of limited stature. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I guess to sort of explain why I was taken in, hoodwinked by the main love story, as you weren't, I think it kind of goes back to... What something that I was saying in the La La Land episode that it's very hard for me to buy romance when I feel like it's mostly based upon just physical attraction, which is how I feel a lot of um, 
rom-coms work, that it's just, oh, we're physically attracted, and then it falls apart because that's a poor basis for a relationship. And then they get back together because they've kind of gaslit themselves into thinking this is their only chance at love, is my uh, <laughs> assessment of most romantic films. And like I said in the La La Land episode, I buy that romance because it feels much more natural and much more intelligent in terms of the two characters approaching it. And I think I just had a lot of the same feelings towards this main romance. Obviously, the other ones like Jane and Bingley, we don't see much of. So it's just kind of uh, we have to trust them that they are falling in love. But for Elizabeth and Darcy, I think I can sort of see that they're both. And I see it a lot in kind of their verbal sparring, which is one of my favorite parts of my, one of my favorite parts about Jane Eyre was just the dialogue between Jane and every man she met that she was just running circles around them, linguistically speaking. And this was sort of a similar thing that Eliz Elizabeth is more than Darcy's match in terms of verbal battling. And so I very much buy that Darcy would be taken aback by this and then drawn in by right a person kind of standing up to him and being being very clearly intelligent and meaningful and then i think even more so when he reveals that he likes her and she's like yeah well i don't like you at all she's playing hard to get that's a classic gambit and he he knows how to play the game so he right starts doing um these things to kind of prove his character to her and I think that and the scene when uh, Elizabeth goes to his house, right, and she's walking through the statues, she's starting to see a different side of him. That she's like, oh, he has a great appreciation for art. And she sees him, right, interact with his sister. And she's so she's she's learning more about his character through this thing and learning more of these admirable qualities that he has, that he's very artistic, he can be a very loving, caring person, as she sees with his interactions with his sister and the way he talks about his sister. So I just really appreciate it as a much more intellectually driven romance, as opposed to a much more physically driven romance. So I, I think that's the big draw for me and why I really like it. And why I think a lot of other people also really like it, that there's just something incredibly poetic and romantic about it. So, and I'm not really a very romantic person, but the movie, I'm just like, dang, I wish someone would tell me you bewitched me body and soul. I mean, that's kind of a romantic, that they kind of be spitting. <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath. Dang. Just because people don't talk like that. Not because yeah, I'm no kidding. I, I thought about suggesting at the beginning of this episode if we could talk like 19th century uh, village people, but I I don't think I would be able to muster it for very long. I could I could write like that, but yeah, I can't. <laughs> I I write a lot more eloquently and verbosely <laughs> than I talk. Nice. So if I if we scripted this, I could probably have done it, but. We don't, so I can't. 
But anyway, that's fine. I I I definitely agree. I think that this is, this movie is tackling romance from a more believable or at least a more healthy perspective. Um I just I w- I think by the time they started orbiting each other more closely, yeah. I was kind of checked out. Um yeah. And I was already um disillusioned with the movie from all the baggage that I feel it had caked around this stuff. Like just another thing that I thought of in terms of characters, I was kind of frustrated and this does actually apply to the to Jane Austen's books as well, is that characters are kind of feel like they're single use by which I mean they don't really have arcs or personalities in and of themselves they kind of just come in and out of the story as they are needed to facilitate the story's progression i think definitely the biggest offender of this would be uh mr collins and charlotte who is his eventual wife and elizabeth's friend because mr collins disappears after he is rebuffed after his proposal is rebuffed because he's no longer needed for the story And then he reappears once the story needs him to reintroduce Elizabeth and Darcy. And obviously I'm not advocating for useless characters who don't do anything to the plot, but I would like characters who are a bit more characterized to mask the fact that they are very much NPCs in this story. By which I mean they're they're really just there to tell the player character or the main character where to go and what to do and how to get there. Yeah. Well, and I think that might be something that books kind of run into. Cause like I said, I mean, I wouldn't describe the plot as that meandering, but it's certainly, and I'm assuming more so in the book, cause I got the book at one point and it's a fairly length, it's a lengthier book than I thought it would be given that it's a, hour long movie so i think there's probably more stuff that's left out that maybe makes collins better i guess i would just be like what you know what would collins even do if he stuck around just hang out and be weird i don't want that absolutely not so i don't really mind that all that much um ellie do you have any other closing thoughts here or do you have any other things you want to talk about before closing thoughts, pre-closing thoughts? Um, I understand that this book was written in a different time, and I accept that. But also, I there was no way I was ever going to be happy when Lydia's character ended with a 15-year-old girl being married to a man in his late 20s to early 30s. That was just... Was. Uh, yeah. And again, I was... I was unhappy with how Lydia's stories turned out. Thank, thank goodness he didn't marry Carrie Mulligan, you know. You already made that joke. No, I made it about Rosamund Pike. Isn't it crazy that two oh, women yeah. who would go on to play psychopaths are in this movie? Uh, I don't think I don't think the promising young woman is a psychopath. Okay, well, women who do questionable things in the name of interesting motivations. Not interesting in her case, but, like, just do questionable things. Okay. 
Let's just move on. All right, whatever. Yeah, I agree with that. In terms of my closing thoughts, I think I just, I liked this movie way more than I was expecting to. Like when I started watching it this morning, I was like, man, maybe it's not as good as I remember it, or maybe I'm not going to be as engaged with it watching it this time. But it, it really sucked me in. And I really, I enjoyed the dialogue, which obviously is, I'm assuming, mostly lifted from the book. But I'm a huge fan of characters just, right, getting a one-up and then the other person getting one-up and just everyone competing to see how subtly passive-aggressive they can be. I live for that kind of stuff. So I just, I really had a ton of fun with this movie. It's such a nice, warm, comforting sort of film, both visually and just in terms of the story. It's a very nice, happy sort of story. So I ended up liking this more than I thought I would, even knowing that I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. It's a bummer you didn't enjoy it. Are you going to give it a rating? Yeah, I can give it a rating. That was kind of my closing thought. So I was going to let you go first ratings wise so we could end on a, on a high note. But yeah, I would give it like a mm, 8.6 out of 10. I guess I didn't really get a chance to talk about some negatives, but I think I kind of agree with some of what you've been saying. I just don't, I don't think it really affects my enjoyment of the film very much. So yeah, this is a lot of fun. Joe Wright slept on director, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, this movie was kind of disappointing, uh, kind of frustrating. Uh, a lot The characters were either non-existent or really annoying or just not very interesting. I just didn't buy into it. It just, it just didn't grab me in any of the ways that it should have. I appreciate it for its technical achievements and for its cinematography, set design, costume design. Nobody's acting poorly, but um, there's just, it's just very uninteresting. Uh, it's a, I still think it's a fairly superficial retelling of the source material. And I was just bored and annoyed by it. So I'm going to give it a C minus. Good grief. Oh my goodness. Elliot, did I not tell you that our female viewership is low and we need to boost it? Can't you lie for the podcast? Sorry. All right. Well, uh, then you can talk about a movie you do like, since I'm assuming you're recommending a movie of that nature. Uh, so, yeah. What would you recommend as maybe uh, an alternative to this film? Uh, for my recommendation, we're going back to the good old U.S. of A. for another movie that's been adapted many times, and that is an adaptation of a classic story for girls. I'm talking Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Um, it's very similar in aesthetic uh, and setting and tone, uh, and it's it's definitely Little Women was written by Louisa May Alcott, and I think that she, I don't know if she was either a contemporary of Jane Austen, or if she came a little bit afterwards, I don't know, but they're, they're very similar writers. Um, and the, this story, the story is a lot more interesting and a lot more engaging. It's a lot more fun. This story was kind of stuffy, um, and repressive. I, I mean, you can chalk that up to just it being British, 
but uh, Little Women had more fun with its premise, and it's got a lot more energy. It's got a really interesting mechanic. I'm not 100% convinced that it's necessary, but <laughs> it's it's told in two different timelines, and I think that Greta Gerwig did a very good job of indicating which timeline we're in. Uh, the ending is completely wild. Uh, I'm really not sure about the ending, but everything else I really enjoy, and it's uh, it will definitely scratch your um, people attractive people dressed in frilly 19th century outfits falling in love and being very verbose and erudite erudite with each other itch if you've got that yeah i definitely agree with that i had totally forgotten about that that's a great pick i do enjoy that movie quite a bit i think it's a smidge overrated now just because greta gerwig's blowing up and Every actress in that movie is <laughs> the next it girl. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a really good movie. Mine is kind of in the same vein, but it's another movie that I find that really surprised me when I watched it, and that is James Cameron's Titanic. Uh, James Cameron is enemy of the podcast, not a friend. He is disliked. But he really pulled this movie out. I mean, this uh, it's one of the highest grossing movies of all time, one of the most iconic movies of all time. And it really lived up to the hype, I think, for me. It's a very romantic story. Again, it's less of it's maybe a bit more tilting towards like we're just hot, so we're gonna hang out more. But I think the main character rose's kind of character arc of being disillusioned with the society that she's in and kind of seeing that life can be more than just that i think it's a really well done arc the last 40 minutes is some of the most stressful and emotional kind of period of a film that i can really think of it's incredibly well made the music is amazing Leonardo DiCaprio is at his DiCaprio-ist est in this movie. Kate Winslet is pretty good. Yeah, it's a bit long, but I really like Titanic. And I think if you're looking for another classic sort of romance story, I think you could do a lot worse than Titanic. Yeah, that movie's pretty good. Um, I actually watched it with the executive producer and I know that she really likes it. So I'm sure she would second that recommendation. I also can second that recommendation. I think Titanic is a decent movie. Um, I would still, it, it beat LA confidential for best picture. I would still probably take LA confidential, but I, I recognize that Titanic is a very good, a very popular movie. Um, but I also recognize that life is hard and full of disappointments. Yep. There it is. Yeah, well, and, you know, Elliot, it's been a tough week for you, I'm sure, between your favorite author passing and being forced to watch a movie you didn't enjoy by your incredibly cool brother, Nathan. Uh, so, unfortunately, this week may be a little disappointing for some of you. Next week, we're going to be back with a fantastic movie. I'm really excited to watch it. Elliot, are you excited to watch it? Uh, Yeah, should be interesting. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah, it should be really good. Should be a great episode. Um, 
yeah, so we'll uh, see you next week for another episode of Magellan's at the Movies.